Hear the word of the Lord, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Probably like you, you uh, we haven't been to many movies, and we don't go to movies hardly ever anyway, but we did actually go to a movie a few months ago. And we were sitting there during the, the trailers, I guess they're called, the, the previews of coming attractions, and we started watching these. And they began to get monotonous because it looks like we were stuck in an infinite loop. We were never going to get to the movie. <laughs> they just kept showing the previews, and it got kind of funny. We were about the only ones in the theater, and they just kept going and going and going. And we began to get very familiar with them, so we could start quoting the lines from these previews. And, and uh, we began, however, to notice more details. He sort of hear them once, and then you hear them twice, then you hear them a third or fourth time. We started noticing more and more details about these. Eventually, we sent one of our own out and say, please, would you show us the movie? We got the, we got the idea about the, the coming attractions. It's easy just to say, kind of go over those quickly, but we got the privilege, I guess, of seeing them many times, so we really know what's, what's coming. It's easy for us, when we go to letters in the New Testament, to go over the, the greetings very quickly. Uh, Paul and Timothy, da, 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 da. okay, let's get to the, the body of the letter. But actually, it's, it's a good idea to spend some time there and maybe go over those once and then twice, because oftentimes they are designed not only to give a greeting, but also to give us a preview of coming attractions. The, the letters are very similar oftentimes in their greetings, and yet at the same time, there are little details hidden in there that are previews of what's coming in the body of the letter. And that's actually what we have here in these first two verses. We have this simple greeting, but buried in this greeting, or between the lines, or actually in the words of this greeting, are some, some previews of what's coming, what this letter is going to be about. And we can look at this in, in three headings. The, the authors of the letter, who were they? The recipients of the letter, who were they? And then the blessing that the authors gave to the recipients. And we can also break it into three different prepositions. Because you see, in these first few verses, Christ Jesus, or the Lord Jesus Christ, is mentioned three times. And there are three prepositions. There's first of, and then there is in, and then there is from. Of, in, and from. So they're of Christ Jesus, referring to the authors, in Christ Jesus, referring to the recipients, and from Christ Jesus and God the Father, referring to the blessing. Now, Paul was the primary author of this letter, but he included Timothy here. Now, we know Paul was the primary author because he very quickly breaks the first-person plural and goes to first-person singular. All through the letter, he's saying, I, not we. Other letters, it looks like it's more plural, but this is very clearly a letter of Paul, but at the same time, he included Timothy in the greeting because it looks like there was a very special relationship between Timothy and the Philippian church. And actually, one of the reasons that we will find that Paul wrote this letter was because they had sent him a request 
to send Timothy to them, and he couldn't grant their request. And you'll see later how very tactfully he tries to explain why he couldn't send Timothy. They really wanted Timothy, and we'll see what happened, why he couldn't send Timothy. Now, why was Timothy so special? To find out how this relationship started, you need to go back to Acts chapter 16. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but in Acts chapter 16, Paul is going through Asia Minor with Silas, and they pick up Timothy along the way. He was a new believer from a solid Jewish family, and he joined them. And so he was the junior partner, or maybe not even partner. He was the helper. But then they get to the end of Asia Minor. They get a call to cross over and go into what we call Europe, into Macedonia, the Roman province of Macedonia, which is now northern Greece. And there they began to preach the gospel in city after city. And what happened in each city is they would get run out very, very quickly. So they, they went through Neapolis. We don't know what happened there, but they go to Philippi. And in Philippi, very quickly after, after just a couple of conversions, one woman named Lydia at the river, a, a Jewish lady, a, 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 a believer in, in the true God, she was there, and then the jailer. So it looks like two converts along with the jailer's family and Lydia's family. Now, um, then Paul was thrown in prison, Silas was thrown in prison, they're beaten, they're, they're run out of town, and then they go to other cities, and the same thing keeps happening. Thessalonica, same thing. Berea, same thing. Paul ends up in Rome. So what does he do? Paul and Silas are the, the main targets. They're the ones that are getting the persecution. But Timothy, he could fly under the radar. And so what did he do? Timothy was the one who was able to be left. If you look at what happened in Berea, when they got run out of Berea in chapter 17 of Acts, verses 4 and 5, they left Timothy there. And Silas was able to stay, but Paul had to take off. And then when, if you go to the First Thessalonians, the letter of First Thessalonians, you find out that, that Paul wanted to know how they were doing, but he couldn't go. So whom did he send? He sent Timothy. And so Timothy was the one who was able to go in and fly under the radar. And so it looks like during the 10 years between Paul's first visit to Philippi and when this letter was written, it looks like Timothy had had significant contact with the, the uh, folks in Philippi. Also with the other churches, Thessalonica, Berea, probably. Now, um, how did they identify themselves? Paul and Timothy, they identify themselves as servants of Christ Jesus. Servants of Christ Jesus. Um, actually, the, the, this word, probably we should just translate it slaves. Slaves of Christ Jesus. That's how it would have been read. There was a, a great deal of slavery in the Roman Empire, and slaves were a common, common phenomenon. And so they would read this as slaves of Christ Jesus. So to whom do they belong? They belong to Christ Jesus. What was their relationship to Christ Jesus? It was one of servitude. It was one of being slaves. Now, this is, this is remarkable. This stands out because in almost all of Paul's letters, he identifies himself as what? Apostle. Apostle. A sent one. A missionary. But only here and in the correspondence with the Thessalonian church was another Macedonian church. So only in these, Thessalon these Macedonian churches does Paul, and also in Philemon, does Paul not use the title apostle. In all the other letters, he uses apostle. But here he simply says servant or slave. Now, why would that be? Well, um, as we read through this letter, we find a couple things. Paul did not need to pull rank on this church. And Paul had a very positive, warm, friendly relationship, partnership with this church. 
And so he didn't need to pull rank. Sometimes he did need to pull rank. Sometimes, like with the Galatians, he needed to pull rank. Sometimes with the, with the Corinthians, he needed to pull rank and say, God sent me to you. That's why you need to listen to me. He didn't need to do that here. But there may be another reason that he is beginning by identifying himself as a slave. And that's this. One of the main themes, and here's the preview of coming attraction. One of the main themes of this letter is humility. It's serving each other. In light of the fact that God himself took on the form of humanity and humbled himself and became a servant. Same word, a slave. And so here we have an anticipation of what's coming. This is, this is the main theme. God's serving us and us serving each other. So that's the greeting. I'm sorry, that's the, that's the authorship. That's the of. These authors were of Christ Jesus, servants of Christ Jesus. And then we get to the recipients. To all the saints, and we will find this word all throughout the letter, a great deal of emphasis on all, all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. To all the saints in Christ Jesus. Now, what are saints? During church history, saints have become, in some in some Christian traditions, super-Christians. Christians who are recognized as going above and beyond. Um, but saints is a common New Testament designation of Christians, of all Christians. And what does saints mean? It means holy ones. And what does holiness mean? Holiness basically means being set apart. Being set apart. Set apart by God, set apart for God. And so, holiness means being God's, being His, set apart by Him and for Him, but it also then has implications about our lifestyle. It also means holiness of life. Those who are set apart by God, for God, are those who live lives that are worthy of that calling to be set apart. So it's got a double meaning there. And so when we talk about sanctification, sometimes you come across that word, sanctification in the New Testament, it is being made holy. Justification is being declared righteous before God. Sanctification is being made holy. And that has two aspects. There's the definitive aspect. Once and for all, we are made saints when we believe in Christ Jesus. That's a one-time thing, declared to be holy ones, set apart by God for God. And then there is the rest of our lives, this progressive sanctification of growing in holiness, in growing in Christ-likeness. And that will be another, another big theme of this letter. And sanctification is one aspect of the bigger category of salvation. But we'll find in this letter, sometimes when Paul refers to salvation, and what he's focusing on is sanctification. When he says, work out your salvation, work out your salvation, he's focusing on sanctification. Work out your sanctification, your growth in holiness. Now, um, Paul also mentioned here that these saints are in two locations at once. Two locations at once. Here the prepositions in this translation are in Christ Jesus and at Philippi, but it's actually the same, the same preposition in the original. It's in Christ Jesus, in Philippi. So they're in two places at once. These saints set apart by God to be where? Well, eternally... The location of saints, the location of believers, is where? 
before God in Christ Jesus. And this is one of the phrases you find all through Paul's writings, in Christ, in Christ Jesus. And the emphasis is that we are connected, we are in union with Christ from before all eternity, that's how we're contemplated, and we will always be in union with Christ before God. And so when God looks at saints, where does he see us? Where are we located? In Christ. And so he contemplates us in our relationship to Jesus Christ. But then there is the more pedestrian identification of, of locality in Philippi. It's where they happened to be at that moment. They were in Philippi. Paul had been in Philippi, then he was in Berea, then he was in Thessalonica, then Berea, then Athens, etc. But they were in Philippi at that time. And here we have, actually, a, another preview of coming attractions, and that's this. If you're a saint, eternally in Christ Jesus, no matter where you are, you are still a saint in Christ Jesus. And so you should live as a saint in Christ Jesus, whether you're in Philippi, whether you're in Pompano Beach, whether you're at work, whether you are at home, whether you are at school, whether you are driving down, down I-95, wherever you might be, your identity is, your primary identity is, I am a saint, a holy one, a set-apart one in Christ Jesus. That's my identity. And I live that out wherever I might be. Philippi one day, Berea the next, Pompano Beach the next, wherever it might be. Your calling is to live out that identity as a saint in Christ Jesus. Now, um, there another. so there's another preview. Now, Paul, in an extraordinary way, something he doesn't do elsewhere, made special mention of the overseers and the deacons. The overseers and the deacons. Who were the overseers and the deacons? Well, they were part of the church. He says, with the overseers and the deacon. They were members of the church as well. And he, it's interesting, he used their titles, didn't he? He didn't use his own title of apostle, right? But he used their titles. Interesting. He didn't say, I'm an apostle. He said, I'm a slave. But they get their titles. And here, once again, preview of coming attractions. Paul says, later on, he's going to tell us, you put yourself last. You deny yourself so that you might put other people first. And that's what he's doing here in the, in the introduction. He's saying, I'm a slave, but they're overseers and they're deacons. They get their title. They get their honor. Now, why would he be mentioning them? Well, first of all, who were these folks? Overseer is the word that we translate in English as bishop. Bishop. And a deacon is a common word that means servant. But here, obviously, these were referring to offices in the church, the bishops and the deacons. Now, when you look at other places, a couple of verses, I'm not going to read them, you can refer to them later, Acts chapter 20, verses 17 and 18, and also Titus 1, 5 to 9, you will find that these bishops, these overseers, were the exact same people as the elders, okay, the elders, uh, were, we find them throughout the New Testament, and now we find overseers. These were the exact same people. They weren't two different groups. This was, they were used interchangeably. Now, why two different words for the same group? Well, we do the same thing, right? Some people call me pastor. Some people call me preacher. Some people call me minister. Most people just call me Larry, which is, which is what I prefer. Or Pastor Larry is fine because I, I love being a pastor. But they're different words describing the same activity or the same office. The same here. Overseer is what an elder does. 
Elder is who an elder is. Elder in the faith. Elder in maturity. But what does that elder do? That elder teaches. That elder oversees, shepherds, pastors, guides the church. And so these are the two offices that we have in the church. The first, the first time that elder and bishop became distinct was in the second century. At the beginning of the second century, they began putting bishops over elders. And you may be aware that many churches to this day have bishops that are over the, the local elders, the pastors, and the, the leaders of a local church. But that's not how it was from the beginning. Just two offices, elder, overseer, and deacon. Elder, overseer, same thing, and deacon. Now, um, why did he mention that? And the deacons, we don't know exactly where the deacons came from, but uh, a good candidate for their origin is Acts chapter 6, when there was a need to take care of the widows in the church. And so they... They got some men, some godly men, to serve. The word deacon doesn't come there, uh, show up there, but the verb to deacon, to serve, shows up there. So that may have been the start of the, the deacon. So why does Paul mention that? Well, we're not sure, but a couple of things. Um, one is to, to put them up while he humbled himself and give that example from the beginning. The other thing is we're going to find out that there was a problem in the Philippian church. And the problem in the Philippian church was division. There was a contentious situation um, among people in the church, and apparently also involving the leadership in some way or another. But whenever there is contention in the church, that affects the leaders. And so what's, what's Paul doing by mentioning the overseers and deacons right at the beginning? He's saying, I have your back. I, I'm, I'm supporting you. I'm recognizing you as the leaders of this church, and I know you're dealing with a contentious situation, but... But I'm, I'm with you. I'm on your side, and let's work through this together. So that's, those are the, the authors, those are the recipients, and then we have the blessing. So we have the, the of, servants of Christ Jesus, saints in Christ Jesus, then we have grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He blessed them with a common formula that we find in the New Testament, and that is grace and peace. Grace and peace. When um, Romans would write letters to each other, they would just simply say, greetings. Uh, they would say the name of the writer, the name of the recipients, and then they would say greetings, the word in Greek, charein, charein. And here, Paul substituted that charein with charis, grace. So he may be intentionally playing on the, the similar sound of that word and in introducing a Christian term, grace. And how did, Jews, how did and how do Jews greet each other? What do they wish each other to this day? Shalom, shalom, and that's peace. And so here, it looks like he's Christianizing the Roman greeting, the Greek-Roman greeting, and using the, the Hebrew, the Jewish greeting as well, and putting them together in a new way. And you find this not only in Paul, but also in other writers of the New Testament. What's grace and what is peace? A good definition of grace would be God's favor toward sinners. God's favor toward sinners. You see, grace doesn't come into play unless there's a problem. There's not a need for grace unless there is sin. And so grace comes in when there is sin. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, we see this contrast. Even when we were, verse 5, uh, 2, 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. And then we find how we receive that grace in verse 8. 
By grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. So grace is God's favor towards sinners. Peace is well-being. Well-being. And so here we have grace as the source, peace as the result. Grace and peace to you. God's favor towards sinners and peace being the result. Peace with God. And as we'll find out later, peace we need to live uh, also with one another. Now, another thing I want you to notice in this, in this, uh, this blessing, grace to you in peace from whom? From whom? From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that flows off their tongues so easily. You find that kind of expression throughout the New Testament. It flows off our tongues very easily as well. But notice what this is. This is a remarkable statement. God's favor comes from whom? God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God's shalom, his well-being, his blessing comes from whom? God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Very naturally, putting God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ on the same level. Now, some people ask, where does, where does the New Testament teach that Jesus is God? And I sometimes retort to that by saying, where does the New Testament not teach that Jesus is God? Because what the New Testament does is, like here, doesn't exactly come out and say it, but simply assumes that everybody knows in the Christian faith that God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ are the source of divine blessings, are the, the joint source of every good thing that we have on the same level. Now, um, here we have, so what do we have? we have? We have authors who are servants of Christ Jesus, readers who are saints in Christ Jesus, and blessings that are from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Over these last couple of days, I, we don't have a TV in our home, uh, but we go over to my parents uh, during this time of year to watch certain things like what? College football. I've watched more college football in the last couple of days than I have all season. Um, and um, watching college football, there are a lot of ads uh, during college football. they got to take these breaks for these ads. And many of the ads, I noticed, are for coming TV shows and coming movies. And as I watch these, these previews about coming to TV shows, and if I sign up for this or sign up for that, that I get to watch all these and have, be able to stream these whenever I want and so on, or coming movies, um, I often am heard to remark sarcastically something like this, oh, I can't wait. Or, oh my, look what we're missing out on by not having a TV. So I take those, uh, those, um, those opportunities to, to uh, be a little bit sarcastic Obviously meaning, I really don't want to see this stuff anyway. Thanks for the previews. Thanks for the trailers. Thanks, but no thanks. Not interested. In contrast, here is a coming attraction you will not want to miss. We've just seen the, the trailer this morning, and the trailer is giving us suggestions about what's coming. And it's, a, it's remarkable that we find the great Apostle Paul humbling himself to lift up others. But that's just the preview, folks. If that's remarkable, what is much more astounding and shocking is that the Son of God also humbled himself in order to save and lift up 
others. And that, my friends, is a main attraction that you will not want to miss. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for your grace to us and the peace which results. We thank you for calling us out of darkness into your marvelous light by your grace, by grace we are saved, and that you give us your peace, peace with you, and peace that we can work out with each other. You've made us your servants, you've made us your saints, you've made us in Christ Jesus to live lives of holiness wherever we might be. And so we thank you for, as we start this year, a reminder of who we are and what you've called us to be. And we pray that you would enable us as we go through this year, as we go through this letter, to live out that high calling for the glory of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name.